First of all, I would tell anyone to acknowledge that um, that failure is more probable than success. And that if you fail, you will have the best learning experience of your life. And it will not truly be a failure because you will have learned more than enough to make up for it. Caution. Listening to this podcast may motivate you to make positive changes in your life, identify ways to accelerate your career trajectory and develop a path towards financial freedom. This is the Career Meets World podcast, and I'm your host, Edward Gorbis. And I've spent the last 10 years focused on helping thousands of people advance their career while in parallel teaching a secret recipe to reach financial independence. And I'm here to share the untold stories of successful people and teach thousands of listeners how to develop a growth mindset. Our minds are malleable and everyone has the power to change their mindset through perseverance, dedication, and a passion for learning. So if you're ready to skyrocket your business and financial literacy, turn up the volume and let's dive right in. This is the Career Meets World podcast. Hey, podcast family. I'm super excited for today's show. With us, we have Johnny Simkin, who's the co-founder and CEO of Swiftly, which is a mobility operating system that empowers mass transit agencies to provide more efficient, reliable, and seamless transportation. The platform weaves data analytics, intuitive visualizations, and real-time predictive technologies into applications that drive smarter decisions for agencies all over the world. And today, over 70 cities and 5,000 transit professionals use Swiftly to improve transportation for nearly one billion passenger trips every year. And prior to founding Swiftly, Johnny was a director of product at Rafter Inc., where he helped 3 million students save over 700 million on college textbooks. Before Rafter, Johnny was the co-founder and CEO of Hubby.DU, which was also acquired by Rafter in 2012. He holds a Bachelor of Science in Engineering with an economics concentration from Harvey Mudd College. And in his spare time, he loves hockey, ping pong, tennis, and he's a huge coffee fanatic. So Johnny, welcome to the show. Super pumped to go into a lot of different topics with you. Understand your career, understand your perspective. Thanks so much for joining us. I first and foremost wanted to say congrats again. You recently had a baby alongside with Jody, your wife, in the midst of a pandemic. What's fatherhood been like for you? Well, first of all, thank you for uh, hosting this and for having me on. Um, and I'm really excited to be here. Um, you know, look, I, I have no benchmark for what to compare fatherhood to because uh, Max is our first. Uh, but uh, it's definitely a unique, a unique time to say the least to have a, a newborn here. So, in the uh, in the hospital, um, uh, we were in the hospital actually for six nights, and uh, we could not leave our room at all for the delivery. So they would just bring food. You could call people to bring you water, but you you couldn't leave the room. Then we had Max uh, came home. We've been in our uh, San Francisco apartment and virtually not living the, the apartment at all. So we're, we're going pretty hardcore with grocery delivery, food delivery, and uh, Peloton workouts inside 
uh, our apartment and the occasional uh, uh, walk outside on a slow street. But that's pretty much our life uh, these days. So just trying to be very safe, as safe as we can. Exactly. You're living the San Francisco dream. You have a one bedroom apartment. You're a brand new father. You're running a company. I'm not sure how you managed to do all this, but it's incredibly impressive. And what you've accomplished throughout the last six years as you've built out swiftly is nothing but honorable. And like many CEOs during this period of time, you've had to deal with some inherent challenges trying to keep your company afloat. Can you share a little bit about what Swiftly is and what are those challenges that you've had to deal more imminently during COVID? Yeah, so um, high level overview of Swiftly. Uh, we are uh, uh, the leading big data platform for transportation networks. Um, we focus on public transit and um, there are three core areas of our platform. The first is the real-time management of the fleet itself. So we help transit agencies. We have a the software platform that you log into from any browser. We help them manage the network in real time. Things like, is this bus on time, early, late? Is it too close to the vehicle in front of it um, or too far away? And, and things to really help improve the reliability of the network. Second thing that we do is um, we predict when the next bus or train will arrive. So we built an algorithm to more accurately predict those ETAs um, uh, for the next bus arrives in five minutes, for example. And we send those ETAs to uh, apps like Transit, to Google Maps, um, pretty much whenever you see the bus arrives in uh, 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 five minutes or whatever the ETA is and you see a bus on the map, um, if we have a partnership with that city, the data is coming from Swiftly. And then the third thing that we do is uh, what we call insights. And it's a whole suite of analytics tools that leverage the billions of data points we gather each month to help cities and transit agencies make smarter decisions. So that's a bit about the company. We're um, now just over 50 people. We've raised $16.5 million. Uh, we um, are have contracts now with over 70 cities, and we touch about 1.2 billion passenger trips per year. And we've doubled, um, uh, doubled or more than doubled each of the last four years as a company. So um, it's been quite uh, a journey building this entire thing from scratch about six years ago. Uh, and, uh, and I've learned a tremendous amount along the way around, um, one, how to build really great scalable products, um, how to learn about industries and key pain points that, that, uh, that customers face and how to be a really good partner to them. And also, um, uh, really, I would say probably the most challenging and most overlooked typically for a founder or entrepreneur, but something I've, I've come to realize is so important is building a great culture and a great team. And I really think that the success of the company is because we've spent so much time, we've been so thoughtful with who we hire and how we empower those folks to, to ultimately drive the success of the company. I couldn't agree more with you. Culture pretty much drives everything that your company accomplishes over time. And it's a reflection of who you are, your entire C-suite and your board. And as you started to build out that culture, it's obviously not easy. You basically have a blank canvas and you figure out what you want to paint. We all know that painting's not easy. What was that process like for you when you sat down with your leadership team and said, we want to hire a certain caliber of people. We want to bring in a certain type of talent. What does that entail? What goes into that decision-making process? Yeah, I think, um... You know, 
probably one of the best place to start is, is to establish a set of values that you really care deeply about. Um, and, you know, it was, it was interesting at the beginning of Swiftly, we, we didn't have uh, a set of values that we all agreed were really important. And we didn't, um, at least I didn't appreciate how important it would be to agree to, to what those values are. And so we spent a lot of time just debating what those are. And there, there generally aren't right or wrong answers here, but it's, it's about the culture you want to build. And so what we um, decided to do was, was establish these six values and we actually um, evaluate them uh, consistently to see if they represent the culture that we have today and the culture that we want to build in the future. But our values are team communication, feedback, um, diversity, growth, and impact. And it's, it's really nice to have those values actually printed off on the wall in every single room in the office. We're not in the office right now, but um, when you are, it really helps to reinforce them. And, and those values serve as a great anchor for how we make decisions as a company, not just from who we hire, but also um, how, we, how we prioritize certain investments over other investments and making sure that every decision we make represents the value that we want uh, to have as a company. So um, I'd say establishing those was huge and then building those into our recruiting processes. So as we're talking to can candidates, one of the things that we do before um, we bring any candidate in is we have a set of questions that will ask all candidates for a certain role. And those questions are really designed, um, at least some people on the interviewing panel are asking questions specifically targeted to assess how well that candidate fits towards the values of our company. Um, so it becomes this virtuous cycle that you can continue to reinforce and uh, uh, and with every single new hire. And I, I think that's been invaluable for us. What you described is exactly, again, a reflection of who you are and why you've been able to be so successful having raised six over $16 million in funding is not easy. Having landed clients on a global scale is not easy. Having been a CEO twice now, what are some of the hardest things that you deal with or the things that truly keep you up at night? The biggest challenges that you face as a CEO completely depend on the stage of the company. Uh, so in, in the early days, it's really all about finding product market fit. Uh, you can focus on building an amazing culture. You can focus on raising millions, tens of millions, even hundreds of millions of dollars. But if you don't find product market fit, all of that will dissipate very quickly. Um, and so uh, generally in the, the early stages, and I learned this with first essential to really think very deeply around who you are trying to solve a pain point for, what their pain point is, and how to unlock value from that pain point, whether it's that customer paying directly or indirectly other people paying through advertising or some other business model. And so that is really the core of, of product market fit. And depending on how strong your product market fit is, that will dictate um, what other challenges you face uh, and how easy or hard it will be to resolve those challenges. So for example, funding is one that a lot of entrepreneurs say is really hard, but if you have great product market fit, funding becomes a lot easier to, to work through. Um, I would say once you have product market fit, probably building the right team and the right culture and establishing the right values for your company and, and most importantly, growing responsibly become 
probably the next big set of challenges. Um, I've seen a lot of companies find product market fit, grow like crazy, but build the wrong culture and the whole thing crumbles. Uh, I've seen a lot of companies find great product market fit um, and build something that ends up lasting for decades to come. And that's generally, uh, I think, a better approach. You might not grow quite as quickly, uh, but you'll find that there's a lot uh, uh, more longevity when you when you take the time to really be thoughtful around the team that you build and the culture that you build. And so that generally tends to be where I spend a lot of my time uh, thinking about and a lot of my time reinforcing the behaviors and values of our company. Um, and I think uh, that that has a huge impact. And one of the things I'm most proud of at Swiftly is uh, we just did a survey and, and one of the questions on the survey to our team was, uh, uh, basically on a scale of one to 10, how likely, or would you recommend uh, Swiftly as, as a place, a great place to work? And 100% of the company said yes, that they would. So um, those things are just so valuable when it comes to scaling, when it comes to recruiting, when it comes to making a great work environment that allows individuals to thrive. Um, so, so that's probably the biggest challenge post-product market fit. It, it, it starts obviously day one when you have a company, but if you don't find product market fit, it's a moot point. We've talked a lot about the importance of culture and some of the challenges that you might go through as a CEO. And certainly there's plenty of them, but you weren't always a CEO and you've gone through this discovery process throughout your life to realize you want to start a company and you chose to start a company in a very, very specific niche, which is the transportation industry and leveraging big data to help a lot of municipalities and agencies around the world to improve how their transit systems operate. Very specific. If you were sharing advice with somebody who's thinking about starting a company, how do you go about identifying what industry you want to work in? Is it a viable space? I know you talked about the importance of always solving for a problem and providing some sort of value add or solution. That's the inherent concept of any business, but how do you go about that discovery process to realize, okay, I want to pursue a passion in X. The first thing that's really important to keep in mind before you even assess the viability of the business is, do you care about the problem you're solving? Because the reality is, if you are successful, you're probably going to be doing that for somewhere between five and 15 years. Uh, and you better damn well like the problem that you're solving in the industry that you're in. Otherwise, uh, you will lose your energy and uh, it, you just won't last that, that duration. And that's oftentimes, I mean, you, the best performing companies get to 100 million ARR in, in five years. It takes most companies a lot longer or they just never get there. So odds are you're going to be doing it for more than five years uh, if, if you're successful. And if you're not successful, well, uh, hopefully you at least had a good learning experience. Um, but uh, uh, I would say first is passion. Second is when you, when assessing value, um, you know, there's so many ways to determine the value of a product. And, and that can be used across whether you're B2B, B2C, it doesn't really matter what your industry is, but are you uh, uh, helping someone save money? Are you helping someone save time? Are you uh, increasing the convenience? Are you creating a delightful experience? Um, many ways to assess value. And I think 
it all starts with having a deep empathy with your customer and really understanding their pain points and why those pain points matter to them. And so in the early days for me, um, I actually knew nothing about transportation. I created my first company in San Diego to make higher education more affordable. That was acquired in 2012. Uh, drove up to San Francisco. My car was director of product at the company that uh, acquired us. It was the second largest textbook rental company in the U.S. at the time. Drove everywhere. I lived in San Francisco, drove to work for 45 minutes, then drove back home for 45 minutes. And I became passionate about the fact that I was frustrated being in traffic for an hour and a half a day. I sold my car, fell in love with transportation and really wanted to devote my time and my energy and my brain to, to, having, um, uh, to, to ultimately having a positive impact on the world. And, uh, and so I became very passionate about it. And then the first thing I did was I started talking to transit agencies, to cities, to transit riders. I even got robbed once at a bus stop trying to survey riders to learn about how they think about transportation. And those are like the scary memories that then become the best memories of actually starting a business and having empathy for the people that you um, are working so hard to, to solve. So I would say, if you really want to assess value, make sure you spend the time to get your hands dirty, to talk to as many people as you can in the industry that you serve, understand the landscape, understand the personas, understand where incentives lie, and most importantly, build everlasting empathy for the people that you serve. I love that. And you're right, which is, look, we have to have a deep passion for whatever we're building. Otherwise, that energy, that initial burst that you have is going to dissipate very, very quickly. Uh, I'm glad you're okay post getting rum, but clearly, <laughs> clearly it did wonders for you and it further reinforced your passion for the transportation industry and your willingness to continue down this journey. And you've done this successfully. But what I'm curious about was entrepreneurship always in your foresight, in your kind of vision of what Johnny wants to accomplish in his career? Or did you think, okay, I graduated from Harvey Mudd. I'm going to go down the more traditional route of going into a corporate environment. What was that thought process like for you? My, so actually I'll just take a step back and walk through my journey through, through school. Cause I think that has really shaped who I am today. Um, way back in high school, I was, uh, this lovely nerdy face you see right here, just with some extra pounds. And I studied a ton of math uh, and science related courses and absolutely loved it. I even um, uh, took some, uh, or I did some work at a laboratory at UCSD as well, just because I really liked the sciences and, and uh, did that as my internship, which was probably a pretty bizarre one uh, for students um, back in the day and, and, and even today. And then I went to engineering school, um, and I, I realized that I really loved uh, I really loved deep technical subject matter, but I, I I was like I want to be able to marry that with something else too. And so I I was really fascinated by business and uh, and law, and so I was like, well, patent law could be really interesting, or entrepreneurship could be really interesting as well. Um, I went to a patent law lecture. I fell asleep within five minutes, so I knocked that one off the list pretty quickly. Um, and then I took some uh, accounting, econ, and finance classes, and I, I absolutely loved it. And then I did my senior year, um, a program through Claremont McKenna called the Robert Day uh, Scholar Program, where you, you actually uh, 
put a, a very significant amount of your coursework around um, accounting, econ, and finance. So I did that at Claremont McKenna while I got my um, engineering degree at Harvey Mudd College, um, one of the other Claremont colleges. So um, my senior year, I had a choice, which was either to to go wor work at a company that uh, would allow me to 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 learn a lot about technology and um, uh, business, or start my own company. And I figured, especially at that point early in my career, I really had nothing to lose um, starting my own company. And I, I just started playing around with ideas and things that I was passionate about my senior year um, and realized while I was taking all these courses at all these different schools, I had to buy all these textbooks that were really expensive. And there was virtually no price transparency in the market at the time. And I was spending thousands of dollars on books and felt pretty absurd when you can go to kayak.com and type in where you're going and from a flight perspective and tells you all the prices. Why couldn't I do that for my textbooks? So built the site on that, um, realized my senior year that I was learning so much by starting this company from scratch. I even convinced my school to give me academic credit to start the company there my senior year. So um, fell in love with entrepreneurship, uh, won $10,000 from the um, from uh, Keck Graduate Institute there, um, uh, presentation, their entrepreneurship course presentation thing across the street um, at the, the two graduate schools. So I was taking another course uh, doing post-grad while I was doing accounting econ finance at Claremont McKenna while I was also doing my engineering degree at Harvey Mudd, getting credit for starting a company. And it was the most fun I had ever had in academia to date. Um, and, uh, and so then after I graduated, I said, I'm going to double down and just keep building this thing because I just love it and spent the next two years building it. Got a, uh, The company got acquired. Um, and then that brought me to San Francisco, which has been just a tremendous journey ever since. And, and uh, after I sold my first company and got back to uh, or, or was having more of a traditional job, I just had that startup itch again. And I was like, you know, it's it's the most fun I've ever had. I absolutely love it. I learn, I learn, I learn. I get to talk with people who um, really care deeply about their industry and, and have now helped me care deeply about transportation. And, uh, and I, I think there's nothing greater, quite frankly, than solving a, a meaningful, impactful pain point that many, many people face. And I find so much meaning in the work and I learn every day from the folks that I work with and the folks I talk to, and I just love it. So that's what's driven me to entrepreneurship. And for those who are listening, I highly recommend at least that you try it at some point. It's a beautiful story because it kind of has this common denominator where you have a problem, a personal problem that you're experiencing, whether it be books or being frustrated with traffic. And then you realize, okay, how do I solve this? And you go about starting two different companies. So that's one way of doing it. Other individuals might have a specific passion or something they're extremely good at and they want to expand on it and center their business around that. There are so many different ways to start a business. What I do know, and we've talked about this separately, is that there's inherent fear that comes with starting a company because oftentimes our families or society pushes us towards a traditional corporate route, which again is a perfectly safe and noble way to continue our career and our journey through life. But how do we kind of conquer that fear and how do we figure out, okay, now's my time to go out and pursue something. What would your recommendation be to somebody who's sitting there listening, walking right now and thinking, 
hey, I want to start something, but I don't know how and I'm scared? First of all, I would tell anyone to acknowledge that um, that failure is more probable than success. And that if you fail, you will have the best learning experience of your life. And it will not truly be a failure because you will have learned more than enough to make up for it. Um, so I view there being no, uh, no downside, at least in that regard. Now, separately, there's the financial concern that many people face. Um, and everyone has a different financial background, a different level of financial stability. Uh, and, and I do really believe if you, you will have to take financial risks. And, and for example, when I started uh, my second company, I cut my salary by over 50% and I was living in a much smaller apartment than I live in now. Um, but I did it because I really wanted to move forward with that startup. Uh, and I really wanted to take that leap of faith. And, um, and I was fortunate at the time to be able to do that. Not everyone is so fortunate where they can take a 50% salary cut or, or any salary cut even, and be able to still pay utility bills and, and get food on, 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 uh, served to them, um, or be able to afford food. So I think the other piece is the, the reality that you need to get to a point where you understand that you will make, have to make, likely have to make sacrifices from a financial perspective, but make sure you do so responsibly because, um, I would hate to see entrepreneurship put put someone in a position where they they can't afford to to even eat. And um, there are plenty of accelerators, startup accelerators or ways to engage to get those um, initial funding rounds to at least allow you to take that leap of faith, but make sure you clearly define what success looks like and what those milestones look like to help you continue to push your vision forward. Appreciate you sharing that, Johnny. You're absolutely right. Everyone has a very different relationship with finances and is at very different stages in their lives. Some might have the opportunity to just run and have the funds with it. Others might need to go out and raise funding. Some might need to join an accelerator program. There are a lot of different avenues that people can take. And I want people to understand that it's okay to have your own pathway. The most important thing is don't compare yourself to anyone else when you're on that entrepreneurial journey. It's okay to learn and to ingest information from them, but comparing yourself to somebody else is gonna be step number one to failure. So look for aspirational and inspirational people to assist you along that journey. What you hit on though is critical to unpack and understand. And that's what we're all about here at Career Meets World is thinking through the career component of life, but also the financial aspect of it as well. And it's interesting because for you personally, again, you've managed two of these different companies and managed kind of the PL of smaller company and how Swiftly has raised multiple rounds of funding, but you have your own relationship with finances as well. As a CEO, how do you decouple looking at finances at a corporate level versus a personal finance level? I don't think I've ever been asked that question. I, I've never, it's funny because they both feel like instinct to a certain degree, but totally different instincts. Um, Company-wise, there's a, I mean, now we have a process where our director of uh, business operations prepares the financials each month. We review it, and then we re we review uh, uh, financials with each department head. And uh, I am 
relentlessly focused on cash management. So I'm, I'm really looking at the company financials on a weekly basis, um, especially things like accounts receivable or, or others that might significantly impact cash flow. Uh, personally speaking, um, uh, I, I use some apps uh, to help with it. Um, probably uh, Mint is one of my favorites for just aggregating. I have tons of different accounts uh, that I've aggregated over the years. So Mint at least uh, provides a nice single view into them um, so I can keep track of how I'm doing across the board. And then uh, uh, I would be remiss if I didn't give a shout out to Trim, uh, who, um, which is a great service to help you renegotiate some of your bills and find cost savings there. And they'll, uh, they'll do that for you. And they are subleasing our old office space. And a great, great team, great founder. Awesome. So let's dig into that a little bit more because the relationship with personal finances is very different for many different people. And I think a lot of, let's call them millennials, but people of all ages certainly use different types of apps to assist them. Um, it sounds like Mint and Trim are some of your favorites. But as it relates to what you're doing with the money that you're making, what are some of the vehicles that you're choosing to invest in and how are you looking at growing your personal funds? I, I'm hardcore on retirement funds. So I, uh, perhaps what I do that's a little different, I, I dedicate most of my paycheck uh, to filling out my 401k. So I usually fill it out uh, sooner rather than later. Oftentimes people try to like divide it out to equal installments at the year. I like to just accelerate it and force myself to be very frugal uh, until that's done um, and paid and, and, and paid in full. Um, so I, I would say take a survey and, and figure out what you can do, whatever you're comfortable with retirement accounts, but make sure to prioritize that because when you can compound interest-free, that has a huge impact uh, down the road. Um, and then separately, live within your means, um, especially being in San Francisco. I see a lot of people just go crazy with spending like, Oh, I've got a great job today. It pays a lot. Spend, spend, spend on all this stuff. Um, I like, maybe I'm a simpleton. I like to cook at home most nights. Uh, sometimes I'll go out, uh, but you know, I, I think, uh, I think you should just be really responsible and make sure to know what, uh, what funding or, or what your, uh, spending amount is reasonable given your income. But uh, I like to think through that and, and err on the side of being overly conservative. It's interesting you bring up a 401k. I've heard people talk about not even understanding what they should be doing with their 401k to maxing it out early in their career. And again, this is all about learning and understanding that there are improvements and micro improvements we can all make as it relates to planning for the future, compounding our, our current income and growing our bank account. So when did you start thinking about your 401k? How old were you? And again, what's your personal advice to somebody thinking about how do I invest in the markets? So I, I started investing in my 401k around uh, when I was 18 or 19, I think, uh, or maybe early 20s. I don't, I don't remember. It was probably sometime in college. Um, but pretty early on. And um, generally, my philosophy is I'm, I'm still, I, I was young, I'm still young, uh, really fortunate, I can uh, afford to take a little bit more risk with the profile. So I usually pick a mutual fund or an ETF, um, 
generally leaning towards ETFs just because fees are lower uh, and they're almost rough. You can structure them to be very similar than, to mutual funds. Um, but I will uh, generally do slightly higher risk uh, portfolio mixes because my, my bet is generally over time. And obviously uh, it's come to bite me a little bit in the current time, but um, uh, generally over time markets will continue to, to increase. And I'd rather be able to have a broader portfolio with a little bit more risk of profile to, um, to increase over time. And if there is a downturn in the market like coronavirus, it's pretty easy uh, to recover when you still have uh, several decades left of, of time for the market to improve. Um, it would be a totally different situation if I were in my 50s, uh, but, but I'm pretty far from that. Uh, and then um, the other thing too is, as far as funds outside of retirement accounts, uh, keep in mind and, and, and keep an open eye around what's happening with the market. I, I was fortunate enough to take most of my money out of the market before coronavirus. Um, turns out public markets have been impacted in a bizarrely less than expected way anyway, so maybe wouldn't have made a huge difference. But um, but I think it's important to, to be cautious, especially if you have a big purchase coming up, like buying a car or buying a house or anything like that. Play, play those sorts of things pretty safe. You're right. It's incredibly important to figure out your own personal plan for saving money and, and be mindful of what purchases you might need to make right now. I think the other important thing to hit on is especially when we're thinking about retirement accounts, whether it be a 401k, IRA, et cetera, remember what age we are or you personally are. And most of the time, we're not going to need that money today. So there's no need to panic when markets go down. On average, most stock markets kind of go up about 10% per year. So the other important thing is if you're kind of at that age range of retirement, you're not going to extract all of that money out at once. So there's absolutely no reason to panic during any recession. I think it's a huge misconception between a lot of people. Um, it's great that you were able to pull your money out. Hopefully you were able to buy things uh, on discount or on sale. I know everyone again has their own purchases that they wanna make throughout their lives. So it's important to remember, build a solid budget as an individual, no different than what a company does, right? So again, as we tie this all back, what you're doing at a corporate level versus what you're doing at a personal level probably look relatively similar. You have your expenses, you have your purchases, you have your savings, you need some cash flow. It's all the same. And as we start to equate those two things, we can compare ourselves as individuals to companies as well. Because if we start building out a plan of how much do I want to earn this year, the next year, five years from now, set targets for yourselves. It's the same exact thing that companies do. So it's interesting to hear your perspective on all of it. And again, as we kind of come to a close, I do want to kind of ask you a few wrap up questions and then we'll ask you some fun hot seat questions, Taylor, just for Johnny. Love it. And uh, one one thing about retirement accounts, uh, I don't know if it was Albert Einstein who said this, although he's commonly credited for this quote. I don't know if you've heard it before, but uh, it's something like compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world. And he who understands it earns it, he who doesn't pays it. Uh, it's, it's kind of a fun quote. Uh, and uh, it is profoundly impactful when it comes to uh, tax-free compounded interest. So 
think about that and uh, start your retirement accounts early. Beautiful. You heard it here from Johnny first. Love the quote by Albert Einstein. Again, it's a great reinforcement that compound interest is our friend. It will always be our friend and arguably the eighth wonder of the world. As you've grown throughout your career and are now deep into building out swiftly and on that pathway, we all constantly seek out new information and want to continuously learn. What are your go-to sources for new knowledge, new information? What are you reading? What are you listening to? I think everyone would be curious to learn. So I, I, I definitely read a lot about, uh, I would say the big things, entrepreneurship, um, SaaS, uh, and transportation, just because they're most relevant to, uh, to me. And I found that I, I absolutely love SaaS uh, as well, just as a general business model. So Highly recommend uh, Jason Lemkin and Saster uh, if you're interested in following that, as well as Thomas Tenguz from Redpoint. I think uh, they both have just awesome things to say that really opened my mind around thinking through SaaS and, and structuring a business. Um, love the book uh, Zero to One by Peter Thiel and uh, the hard thing, what is it, the hard thing about hard things um, by uh, Ben Horowitz. Highly, those are just classics. Like if, if you haven't read them, I'd say must read for any uh, current or soon to be entrepreneur. Uh, and then I read a ton of blogs around transportation. Uh, one of them is called Movements and Trucks, uh, Future of Transportation. Um, those are the two that I, uh, uh, sorry, Movements by Trucks VC and then Future of Transportation. So, um, Actually, can I can I redo that because it's movements and then trucks VCs future of transportation. Perfect. I I think I've recommended the book The Hard Things about the Hard Things by Ben Horowitz a hundred times because it's instrumental to wrapping our minds around what it really takes to manage a business. The the hard things that we never even think about. It's glamorous to raise money to say we own a business to have a brand. All that recognition is incredible, but reminding ourselves that there's so much hard work that happens behind the scenes that most customers never see, nor should they see. All, all they care about is a great product, which is what you've consistently been able to deliver. But again, it's important to remember that you're continuously learning and reading more books, blogs, listening to podcasts. There's a lot of different ways to absorb that information. And as people seek out to learn from you and, and learn more about Swiftly, learn more about the transportation industry, really interesting geeking out. What's the best way to connect with you, Johnny? Follow me on uh, LinkedIn, if you'd like. I, I'm not huge on social media, but I'm fairly active on LinkedIn. So uh, and you'll, you'll find me under Jonathan Simkin, my full legal name that I virtually never use. I don't think I've ever called you Jonathan, so we'll stick to Johnny. <laughs> but Jonathan Simpkin puts out a great deal of uh, influential and meaningful content on LinkedIn, so make sure to follow him. And as we wrap up, we're going to move on to our infamous hot seat and ask you very detailed questions that are tailored just for you. So, Johnny, are you ready? Let's do it. Awesome. Johnny, let's pretend Swiftly doesn't exist and I give you a billion dollars right now. What industry or what company would you want to start? 
A billion, I don't know if that's enough to start a whole industry, but definitely to start a company, I could do it. Um, I would, I would definitely, you know, honestly, I'm going to give the cop-out answer, but I think it's a, it's a good one for me. I would double down on Swiftly and, and if Swiftly existed, put it all on Swiftly. If it doesn't, uh, start Swiftly again. There you go. Uh, if you ever are fundraising again, you should use this piece. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> uh, Johnny, that's a great answer. It reinforces that you're passionate about what you're working on and you really want to hone in on it and double down on it. So uh, there's a lot of work to be done within the transportation industry. And again, continued success for you. I'll wrap up with one final hot seat question. We'll make this one super simple. We're in the midst of a pandemic. Well, most of us haven't moved more than 20 miles beyond our house. If you could move anywhere with your wife and son right now for a year and not have to deal with anything, where would you move and why? Uh, if it were anywhere in the world and assuming that I didn't have to worry about work and assuming I could figure out the whole seeing family situation, at least remotely, I guess uh, uh, I would either be to move somewhere very close to family so I could see them in a safe way, or uh, it would be to go to New Zealand and do a Lord of the Rings slash Hobbit tour all the time with my, with my son and my wife, but she wouldn't like it, but <laughs> I would do something that she would love to. <laughs> uh, it's funny. I was just talking to my wife about potentially going to New Zealand as well. So uh, it's a it's great a, place. It's a great place. It certainly is. Johnny, I uh, appreciate you surviving the hot seat. Um, I want to see Swiftly succeed. I'd love for people to continue to learn about what you're working on, follow Swiftly and follow Jonathan Simpkin as well. Thanks so much for taking the time today to talk about the importance of culture, talk about how you've grown two successful companies and how to overcome a lot of those fears if you're curious into in becoming an entrepreneur yourself. So again, really grateful for the time today. Thanks so much. Thanks so much. Hey, thanks so much for listening to the Career Meets World podcast. I would love to get to meet you. There are a couple of ways we can connect. You know I love my LinkedIn. Simply search for Career Meets World or Edward Gorbis and feel free to connect. Second is via Instagram at Career Meets World. And third is through our website. I have a special spot for you full of fun, free resources. All you have to do is go to careermeetsworld.com, subscribe to our newsletter, and we'll provide you the free resources to help you boost your career and reach financial freedom. And if this podcast was helpful to you in any way, please consider rating and reviewing this podcast on Apple Podcasts. This helps us help more people. Simply tap the rate with five stars and leave a sentence with what you liked about the podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. Remember, strengthening your growth mindset is your ticket to success. I'm Edward Gorbis, and we'll catch you on next week's episode.